Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. He said to them, Give them some food yourselves. They replied, Five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go and buy food for all these people. Now the men there numbered about 5,000. Then he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50. They did so and made them all sit down. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled 12 wicker baskets. The Gospel of the Lord. If you knew you had a week to live, what would you do? Have you ever been asked that question before? Maybe you're in a group setting and they wanted to have some sort of an icebreaker to get the people to share details about themselves with one another. Or maybe you were interviewing for a job and the employer was trying to get a sense of what your priorities are. Or you were applying to college and that's one of those essay questions that the admissions committee uses to get a more intimate glimpse of your hopes and your dreams. So they ask one of those really heavy philosophical questions like, if you're going to go to a deserted island, you can only bring three things, what would they be? Or, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who would that be? If you knew you had a week to live, what would you do? The other night, the hit TV sitcom, The Office, was on. It happens to be on a lot in my apartment. And one of the characters, Pam Beasley, was answering that very question. She said, if I knew I had a week to live, I would probably go to Europe and South America and the Grand Canyon, and I would want to see the Pacific Ocean. It would be a pretty busy week. I know personally, when that question's been sprung on me, I've never really been satisfied with the answer because, well, perhaps Thankfully, it's always been a hypothetical thing. I've not actually had to worry about that. But the pressure of trying to come up with something dramatic or unique, to be reflective and vulnerable enough to maybe reveal things about your deepest, most unfulfilled desires, can kind of all come up in those discussions. So it's kind of hard to come up with things. But that question And these thoughts have been on my mind recently, not simply because I was watching The Office yet again. Back on May 25th, I saw a picture online 
of a priest named Father Michael Loss. And he was elevating the consecrated host from his hospital bed. And a few clicks later, you learned that the young man had been in formation to become a priest in Poland, when a month before that picture was taken, he had been diagnosed with cancer. And the prognosis was not good. With only weeks to live, what did he want to do? He wanted to be ordained a priest and to celebrate Mass. And that extraordinary request went to Pope Francis and was granted. And right there in his hospital room, confined to his sickbed, he was ordained a priest. He offered his first priestly blessings to those in the room. And then the next day he offered the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It was hard not to be filled with a, a lot of emotions just seeing those pictures back in May, which was right around the time I was marking my 20th anniversary of being ordained a priest. Or then again this past week when the pictures popped up again and it was announced that Father Michael had passed away. In so many ways, the story was, was tragic and was heart-wrenching as any story of a young person's life ending so early would be. But in even more ways, the story was inspirational and so incredibly countercultural, as all of us know all too well in this day age, in this age, in this place. Especially now, now that it's been a year since we first heard stories of our disgraced former Archbishop, Mr. Theodore McCarrick, and his abusive, predatory behavior against children and adults, which ultimately led to an explosion of scandalous stories and then his being laicized as a priest in February. The list of things that have come to light in this past year are just too many and too depressing to even recount again. Just hearing and learning of the abuse by clergy, of the cover-up by clergy, has plunged the church into a crisis. And not surprisingly, one reaction has been for people to leave the faith altogether. Even priests leaving the priesthood. A few weeks ago, one priest who had been very recognizable as a television commentator and an author announced very publicly that he was leaving the priesthood after almost 15 years of ministry. And it's always sad for me when that happens, having almost left the priesthood myself 13 years ago. I can relate to that space that this man must have been in, and I don't judge him or his decision. But sadder still for me was seeing almost the widespread acclaim and support that he got for this decision. I mean, it's okay to empathize with his struggle and to support him in his, his search for peace, but just seeing this almost general consensus of people congratulating him and calling the actions brave and courageous was jarring. And when you reflect on both aspects of the scale here, the, the monstrous behaviors of the abusers and those who were accessories both during and after the fact, 
I can't imagine that the people who did those things concerned themselves with questions of eternal consequence, like if they only had a week to live. Because if they had done that, they would have rightly worried about their own souls and the souls that they sought to destroy. And when I think on the other end of the spectrum of the the people, the lay, the clergy who've already left our church, so many of them have done so because they didn't think they could find anything that could possibly counterbalance the incredible evil they witnessed, which I believe will be another thing the abusers will have to answer for. Some of those who've left can't believe or don't believe or aren't sure if they could ever again believe anything that is said or done in this church, in this place that is supposed to speak of things of eternal significance. Which is why, once again, I just want to thank all of you for being here today, because it isn't easy. Just from my informal polling, those who do find themselves here still, after all that we've heard and been through, we do so with mixed thoughts. But praise God, you're here and we're here. And into that space of mixed feelings, we once again celebrate the greatest gift that we receive as Catholics. And that's Jesus' real body and real blood under the appearances of bread and wine that we receive in the Eucharist. Our thoughts and our minds and our hearts are, are meant to be drawn into this mystery that we celebrate at every Mass even more deeply on this special feast day of Corpus Christi, which is Latin for the body of Christ. It's Jesus' everlasting gift to his church of every generation of his abiding, his loving, his selfless gift of himself to every single one of us who draws near to this altar. Approaching this altar well aware of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our unworthiness. Jesus, the living Son of God, tells us that he desires us to receive his body and blood so that he can enter into our body and blood. He wants to nourish this, our earthly life, each and every day, and to join it with himself to prepare us for eternity with him. At the core, That's what's drawn people throughout the centuries when men and women within the church have scandalized and failed the people entrusted to them before. And that's one reason that we still come here today. Interestingly, of all the Gospels that could have been selected for this feast day, maybe one of the Last Supper narratives or John's Bread of Life discourse, instead we hear this this Gospel from Luke of Jesus feeding the multitudes. And the more I read it, the more appropriate this year it seemed. Because in the scene immediately before this passage, Jesus had empowered and entrusted the 12 with his mission to go proclaim the kingdom of God, to go heal the sick, to participate in Jesus' very act of salvation for the world. But at the sights of the crowd, recognizing the needs and desires in front of them. On their very first day on the job, the apostles immediately fail the people they've been commissioned to serve. 
They're defeatists. They either don't believe or they don't fully understand what Jesus is asking them to do in serving his people. They immediately point to their pathetic, meager provisions, to their own inadequacies. It's like on the gospel page, they're practically shrugging their shoulders and giving up. Ultimately, it's Jesus who takes those inadequate provisions and fulfills the needs of the crowd. And that's why this gospel is offered today. Because in the Eucharist, we remember that it is Jesus who continues to make his body and blood, his real presence real, despite those who fail him and his people. It's Jesus who provides the abundance. It's Jesus who gathers all those threatened to be scattered by the sins of those who are supposed to be his followers. He does all of this so that we can realize that in every moment of our lives, God sees us. He loves us and he provides for us. And he will show us a way even when the path before us sometimes looked bleak. Father Michael Loss couldn't imagine a more important goal or a greater way to spend his last moments on earth than to focus on Jesus Christ, faithfully serving the Lord and his people, even for such a, a tragically short period of time. That's what he, he wanted more than anything. In spite of corruption, despite the self-inflicted wounds of a, a floundering church, Father Los knew that that didn't matter. What did was Jesus Christ. That was worth fighting for, literally, with his last breath offering the Eucharistic sacrifice for the people of God. For us here today, here celebrating that gift of the Eucharist, here to receive that same Eucharistic sacrifice, may we be blessed with that that same clarity of vision, to see with the eyes of faith exactly how precious this gift is that Jesus offers us with his body and blood. Remembering that when he had a week to live, Jesus' vision was no different than the rest of his life. It was you and me and every one of God's people. Nothing else mattered or matters to him. May our receiving that gift be truly appreciated and inspire us to long for Jesus and for him alone.